It is Friday, September 3rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Joining us today is a special guest. You probably remember him from his days at the artist formerly known as Roto World. You can now find him grinding content for Underdog Fantasy, including articles for the blog, videos for their YouTube channel, the Underdog Football Show podcast. Josh Norris, thanks very much for joining us on here today. Gentlemen, a holiday Friday Long weekend. There was nowhere else I would rather be than talking ADP changes, fantasy football, just like five, six days away. What a season it is. What a long summer it has been, that hot, hot best ball summer. Let's uh, let's bring it in for the landing today. How about that? I was going to say, if you're in the fantasy content industry, you know, this, this is not a vacation weekend. This is, you know, one of the, one, one of the bigger <laughs> weekends of the year. So. I, I, I got to be honest. Uh, we use Slack as a company, okay? And this morning, I think this is just built into Slack's DNA where it sends a notification of like, hey, Monday's a holiday, it's Labor Day. <laughs> and then we just got messages of like, hmm, emojis. <laughs> like, no, actually it's not. It's it's a work day. It's a work day. Can't complain though, can't complain. That's right. We are putting the labor into Labor Day weekend here though because everybody's drafting. It's all over the place. And Josh, seeing as how you are you know, lead underdog ambassador here. We figured you're as close as anyone to the ADP, the shifts in that landscape. So we're going to hit on some key situations there across positions. We'll, we'll discuss some big movers up and down boards throughout draft season, especially in recent drafting with a lot of folks drafts coming up this weekend. I want to start at wide receiver because Josh, I think I, I missed the day maybe in the summer where someone convinced the entire underdog landscape that wideouts are crypto punks. I feel like I blinked at some point in July and the entire draft room was buying receivers like they were going to immediately flip them for profits. Yeah, uh, that turned me into the running back ambassador, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do think that this bubble that we do occupy produces awesome content. And there's so many different ways of, of viewing roster construction. And I think a lot of ways wide receivers and just their ballooning ADP was mainly focused in that roster construction. Obviously there's 18 rounds on underdog and a lot of the mindset this summer has been some combination of at least two quarterbacks, four running backs, nine wide receivers and two tight ends. Again, obviously there's a couple more picks in there. And at some point it got to like the, the spot where like these wide receivers were nameless and faceless and as soon as you just started like drafting them, that's good because you were filling those wide receiver slots. And I think that also coincided with this, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this on the show, like the theory of the running back dead zone, which I I, I do buy into, obviously. Like the, the, the first two rounds, to me, I love starting drafts with at least one running back and one wide receiver in, in, in a lot of constructions, um, especially like there's three top wide receiver names and then com- coming back with someone who has a ton of opportunity. Now, that's not to say that like, this running back dead zone brush should be painted generally over all of these names. You know, you just have to zoom back to like Justin Herzig last year, who won best ball mania for 200 grand. He had two running back dead zone players on his team. You know, he had three drafted in like the top six rounds. I mean, those two were Chris Carson and David Montgomery. So, you know, all of these running back dead zone players, they're not all going to hit. They're not all going to, 
they're, they're not all going to bust. So I think taking in mind maybe the optimal, what we know now in the infancy of best ball, roster construction, but then also diving into the minute details of, okay, what do they want this running back to be? What's their vision for the team? What is the opportunity? What is the competition there with them? So which ones can hit in that area? I think you might have a better chance of identifying the one to two to three that do hit in that area. And that can pay off as should have been top three round selections. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's what really surprised me the most about just the collective movement is if there's this growth in leaning on four running backs or maybe five and you take one very late to round that out and then nine or 10 receivers to me, that kind of increases the value of grabbing a couple of those running backs early guys that you should be able to count on for those big workloads that you don't need to then add as many starter weeks to them. And then just collecting a bunch of receivers who at some point throughout the season, are going to give you, you know, three starter weeks at a time. I think that it surprised me that there were so many people looking at that four running back thing and lots of wideouts and saying, well, I need to get my wideouts early. Yeah. There are a lot of ways to win. And I feel like this summer at points we got locked into there's only one way to win, you know, and and going back and looking at just what was successful in terms of playoff advances, uh, you know, advances to the semifinals and the finals in these large tournaments. I mean, it's, it's even more different. And this is a different conversation in just, you know, a one off 12 team league and obviously the strategy with that. But there, there's so many ways. I mean. I think the number one thing, though, is to have four wide receivers at the end of round seven. I think that that is because it's such a valuable area. Mm -hmm. Uh, The talent at that position seemingly has never been better. And that's like such a sweet spot for taking those. But in that case, you can still draft two running backs in that area. You can have a quarterback and a tight end in some scenarios or, you know, two running backs and a tight end still in that build. So. Uh, I, I understand from both perspectives, and I think rather than being so binary and saying it has to be this way or this way, finding the answer in the middle is probably the, the right way and, and, and find the information on both sides. Yeah, I, I've definitely succumbed a bit to the to, to the wide receiver craze because, Josh, like you said, I, I, I want to have that fourth wide up by at least like round eight because I don't want to have oh, – Of course. I, I like Jacoby Myers, but I want him as my wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and I want him as my, as my wide receiver five. Um, so I, I think you have to follow the herd a bit with the wide receiver stuff. Um, and, then, and then just going back to the running back thing, like to me, it's not, it's not draft four running backs in every draft. It's draft four running backs when you start running back heavy. You know, if I, if I open Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, Clyde Evers, Alaire, I'm drafting four running backs on that team. But if I, if I have one running back through the first five, six rounds, you know, that, that team's going to have five, maybe six running backs. I think what you do early in your draft sh- should impact your, you know, final roster construction. For sure. I mean, there's some, I mean, one-on-one is always so awesome to have, but it's also getting to an area where you could potentially get Christian McCaffrey, then down like Justin Jefferson and CEH as like your one, two, three start because CEH is following all the way down to like 24th, 25th overall on underdog right now. I mean, that's like a dream, you know, and then just hammer wide receivers after that. And like, even if you, to me, it's all baked in. The, the possible issues, negatives, downsides of CEH. Like to me, that's his absolute floor yeah. in that area. And he's also the 14th running back going in everyone's draft that will go in almost certainly the, the top two rounds. So uh, I'm absolutely in on CEH at cost right now. 
he was he was a first round pick last year and 106 and people got burned i think that that's part of it yeah it is we have our biases towards that and then if you like zoom out you are getting the true number one running back on the most bankable offense in the nfl a guy who was breaking records in the sec in terms of receptions who only got 36 last year who should be in line for 20 to 30 more this year behind an offensive line that was vastly improved and invested in the summer. What is there not to love? What is there not to love at that spot? Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the, his rookie season was kind of a mixed bag. So I, I have some more questions about him as a player. Yeah. Um, But I mean, j- just the situation you made the point about the O line is so much better this year. Like, yeah, to me, CEH should be going, you know, in the middle or maybe even early second round. So if you can get him in the late second pair with McCaffrey, that that's just a, a massive advantage, I think. I know that this isn't the conversation that we intended to have, but I do want to throw out like of those 14 running backs, someone for all of us has to be listed at the end. And while I love the player was drafting him a whole lot last summer when he was like a 10th or 11th round selection. I I'm starting to think it might be Antonio Gibson for me. Yeah. Um, Just because I think we're kind of wish casting a little bit, this expanded workload that might not be there for at least until like the final eight, 10 games, because I mean, obviously I love Gibson as a prospect, but that receive receiving dynamic hasn't been invested in him as of late. And it's because JD McKissick is legitimately good at it, you know, and something I truly believe that there has to happen for JD McKissick, either he fails or he gets injured for Antonio Gibson to get those third down touches, to get those turbo situations. And so while I truly believe he can do it, there's a big difference if Scott Turner, if Ron Rivera will allow him to do it. And without that, I still think he's an awesome runner, uh, uh, an awesome player inside the the, the 10, the, the 20-yard line. But what if he just doesn't have that? And to me, if that's the case, he might have the least opportunity in terms of all of those 14 running backs. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about this, that like Joe Mixon and Najee Harris ha- have already have the role that you're hoping yes. Antonio Gibson might have. Um, and I also think we're wish casting that Washington's offense is going to be like a you know top 10, top 12 offense. It could still be a below average offense. I mean, I know we're all excited. Fitz shows that upside sometimes, but he also has games where he completely bombs and it's going to you know hurt everyone on that offense. Yeah, I'm in the same territory with you guys for Gibson. I think if you're behind him, then you can point out the number of targets he has gotten in the preseason, but you also shouldn't ignore how they've happened. If he's not getting that third down work at some point, that's going to translate into the targets not being there that we need for him to ultimately pay off in that range. Um, Going back to the wide receivers, Josh, is there anybody that has moved up in that early range that we're talking about that just doesn't belong? There's anybody stand out. I, I mean, Without calling him somebody who doesn't belong there, C.D. Lamb is kind of a, a hot-button player who's always in that range. And there are folks who are like, I'm following C.D. Lamb wherever he's going to go because he has top five upside. And there are others who say, that's just too early. I like him. I don't want to be totally out on him, but he's just going too early for me to get to him. While we start the conversation about how many rounds wide receivers have moved up as like a cluster together, I do think it can be difficult to identify which one is, is going to bust or, or not meet expectations. Now you can make the case for a whole bunch of them, you know, like I absolutely love Brandon. Ayuk the talent. I love Debo Samuel, the talent, but like the closer we get, how we see 
you know, Kyle Shanahan utilizing these quarterbacks in terms of, I mean, I, I think the last preseason game showed us exactly what the plan is going to be that in certain times during the drive, Trey Lance comes in and especially inside the red zone, Trey Lance comes in. And if, if defenses do not slow them down, they're just going to run the ball. Like we've seen it in the past with Kyle Shanahan in the playoff game against the Green Bay Packers, Raheem Moser got like 25 carries for 220 yards and, and three touchdowns. I talk all the time about how the Patriots want to play bully ball. The 49ers might be right there with them. Now, I also think their offense is just going to be better. I also believe in Brian Ayuk's talent. I think he might be on that, you know, second year breakout alpha trajectory of someone like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, heck, I'll throw in Chase Claypool in this situation. But we always talk about volume. That's a word we can either, you know, promote someone if we want to or, you know, downgrade them if we want to. I'm a little bit nervous at like wide receiver 22 area if if Brandon you can get that and to be honest with you our conversation about Washington and maybe I'm just you know a football snob mm-hmm. I, I really believe in in offensive lines and in a lot of ways how that can like trickle down to the rest of your team there was at one point where the Bengals offense was being drafted as if they're the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> now I I understand it because they're going to be in negative game scripts I still don't know a single thing about Zach Taylor other than that when you are in neutral negative game scripts, they're going to throw the football a lot. But how many positive things have we have we seen from the likes of Jamar Chase, who is being drafted as, you know, one of the top rookies ever at the position, despite maybe not having the same profile as some like the greatest phenoms we've seen at the position. And then T Higgins is a, a very good player, but being drafted directly after him. And to be honest with you, the one that I've been kind of focusing in on if I wanted a piece of that was Tyler Boyd, who was previously going at like wide receiver 35 and now around wide receiver 33. But that certainly doesn't have the upside of the other two. And Chase, Chase has been a follower looking at the underdog ADP. He's fallen eight spots. Um, you know, he's still going in round five. That's getting cl- like he's a guy I don't have much of because I, I just think I, I, I thought he was going too high. Um, as he drops now, he's a guy, you know, I, I think late fifth is where I'd start to consider him. I I'm not worried about the, the the drop stuff. Like the, the guy's good at football. You know, we saw that for an entire season at LSU. It, it's obviously, I, I think there's some rust going oh, on. Yeah. You know, I mean, the guy didn't play football all last year, but that, that never seemed to be baked into that price tag. You know, when he, he was going in the fourth round, we just assumed we were getting 2019 Jamar Chase right out of the gate. That's probably not going to be the case, but you know, as his ADP drops, I think he's become more interesting now. And there was a point too, with like the Jaguars offense, where, and maybe this is kind of leading into the other conversation, where DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault were being drafted so far ahead of Marvin Jones, and it kind of still is the case, to be honest with you. Like, Visca, if I'm finding it, he's going as wide receiver 32. DJ Chark has dropped a ton because he was going in that same range at, like, wide receiver 35-ish. And then Marvin Jones was, like, wide receiver 57 at one point, and he's climbed up to wide receiver 52. And when you zoom out and survey that landscape, I understand that Marvin Jones is like on the wrong side of 30, that he's not potentially one of these young breakout players in their rookie contracts. But there was absolutely an avenue for him to lead that team in in wide receiver production, I think, at one time, because on the second day of free agency, they pinpointed him despite having the other two players on the roster. He obviously has a history with 
Daryl Bevel, he plays much bigger, which is something that Urban Meyer has been critical of DJ <laughs> Chark. And so maybe it's not like if they're all the ADPs were equal, that would be the case. But since he was being drafted as like a distant third, to me, that always stood out as, as something that we should should try to take advantage of. But then at the same time, it's also difficult to reset your opinion on that receiver group because we've had these rankings since June and Travis Etienne was always floating around there as like this hybrid role or how many targets does he get? And then if there's like, maybe again, maybe this is wish casting one player who benefits the most from Etienne other than James Robinson, obviously it might be LaVisca Chenault. So then like that makes me like rework the dynamic too. So that's a team. I actually think that like Trevor Lawrence is the most underappreciated player in all of fantasy right now going as, as quarterback 16, I understand all of the negatives with (laughs) urban Meyer and the narrative surrounding that right now. Um, But I mean, this is a quarterback who rushed for 18 touchdowns the last two seasons, who absolutely is not going to fold in the face of pressure, who um, is just an absolute awesome prospect and getting him in like a sweet spot area, especially an underdog. If you want to double up on two quarterbacks in that rounds, like Matthew Stafford's quarterback, 13, Trevor Lawrence's quarterback, 16, boom. I think we're riding with that for the whole year. I think that's a great situation to highlight for in terms of these ADP movers discussions, because I'm with you on Trevor Lawrence. I think earlier in draft season, he was going earlier and maybe in the range it was like, yeah, he's all right, but there are other guys behind him. Now that he slid some, and Trey Lance and Justin Fields have jumped ahead of him, even if even though we have no idea when those guys are going to start, and we now know that Trevor Lawrence is going to start week one. There's definitely more value to Trevor Lawrence, but even more so the wideouts. DJ Chark began draft season in around wide receiver 30, maybe even higher, the low 20s. Uh, now he's wide receiver 50 by underdog ADP. And, you know, we, we focus on best ball here, and we're talking about taking shots and, and building portfolios and all that. But even as we switch over to more redraft, more lineup management leagues. I mean, somebody like that who clearly at least has the talent to have been in the wide receiver three discussion early and is now a wide receiver five, there's a lot of value in being able to adjust your outlook on that situation and say, well, I didn't want DJ Chark to start for me, but if I can stick him on my bench and see what happens, that's a really attractive buy. Yeah, I really think there is something to preseason football being ripped from us last year and then us reacting some might say overreacting at times to to what has happened this last month because like you look at all the massive adp movers over the last two weeks uh ramondre stevenson is up 55 spots um marquez calloway is up 39 spots jacoby myers is up 30 spots which i love you know Corey davis is up 24 spots again love that but then there are other names too just based on what they've done this preseason, Tyro Williams, 17, Josh Palmer, you know, 16 spots. I keep going on and on and on, right? Maybe this year, because last year where the value was, was in the unknown of the rookies. And some of us talked about Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager too much and not enough about <laughs> Justin Jefferson and Chase Claypool and Brandon Ayuk, right? So that happens. But what if the value this year, and this might be a crazy theory and tell me if it is are players that we know are legitimately good, but are on new teams that we just haven't seen yet. And because of that, their ADP has dipped and there's a handful of them. And it's kind of crazy how talented they are. I mean, Julio Jones 
is is going as wide receiver 20. Okay. To me, I want to be all over him. I'm considering him round three area. Okay. There's also Will Fuller, who was the wide receiver eight in fantasy points per game last year, being drafted as the wide receiver 42. And what we saw last year with Will Fuller without DeAndre Hopkins was that his A dot dropped. It opened up more yards after catch capabilities. He was catching more passes towards the line of scrimmage in the intermediate areas of the field. To me, he showed a complete game, and I understand it. And when I post videos like you guys are on YouTube right now, and I talk promisingly about Will Fuller, the mentions are awful. The comments <laughs> are are a disgrace. I mean, the guy is hated, and it's just because he doesn't finish seasons. I understand that, especially in best ball. Guys, let's take advantage of those people who, who hate that type of player, and let's draft him because, to me – he in instantly becomes the top skill position player on the Miami Dolphins as soon as he steps foot in that field. I think a lot of people view him and pigeonhole him as just a vertical receiver. I think he could be much more than that. And I think that offense from a passing game is going to go through Will Fuller and going to go through Jalen Waddell. Um, and getting that at wide receiver 42 is, to me, an everything, every single negative element, even in your season-long league, is baked into it. Because if he doesn't hit, he's your wide receiver four, wide receiver five, maybe even beyond that if you load it up early on. Just get rid of him and keep moving on. But he has a wide receiver, top 20 wide receiver ceiling there as well. And I can keep going with like Curtis Samuel, which I'm actually still nervous about. There's a mm -hmm. few more names. But I think that that might be an element where the unknown, like it was with the Jets really early on this draft season in like June, that no one knew what this team would be. And now we're in on Zach Wilson. And now we're in on Corey Davis and a few other names. Elijah Moore. Maybe it's still in the element of, of great veterans changing teams, and uh, we just haven't seen them on those new rosters yet. I think someone like Odell Beckham kind of fits in there too, not on a new team, but a guy just we haven't seen because he's coming back from the ACL. But, I mean, he's going like wide receiver 30, and he, he was beating that handily before the injury last year. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad we haven't seen someone like Odell Beckham. I'm, I'm glad Elijah Moore didn't hit the field this preseason because he's still way too cheap, I think. Um, Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, I like those guys. The Raiders just, you know, sat their starters all preseason. So I, I agree, Josh. I think um, some of these guys we didn't see this preseason, people are just sort of forgetting about. I think on the injury front, too, beyond Will Fuller, if if there is somebody that you want to like or that a lot of people like and the argument against them is they're always hurt, and that's pushing them down the draft boards. Be in on that guy if you're paying for him late. I mean, you know, I'm not saying draft somebody who's injury prone in round two, but if there's somebody who's lingering later than what his production to this point on a per game basis has said that he should be, just go ahead and buy him. And if he gets hurt, then it's not going to hurt you as in a backup spot. And there are a few others too that players saw their ADPs drop when injuries happened around them. I'll throw out the Indianapolis Colts, like yeah. Jonathan Taylor was a locked in. First round selection, then Quentin Nelson, Carson Wentz get hurt. We hear it's like five to 12 weeks or whatever it was, end up being like three weeks. And who knows how those players, you know, fare once they get back on the field. But now obviously he's locked in as a second round selection. And the one that never recovered and is starting to in the last couple of days is Michael Pittman. Yep. Michael Pittman has the entire profile of being an awesome X receiver. And then when you drop down to like wide receiver 50 ADP, he's climbed a little bit back up to wide receiver 46. I mean, I look at some players going above him, you know, 
and I, I never know what type of podcast I'm walking into. If this is like a pro Brandon Cooks podcast or this is a pro <laughs> Miko Hardman podcast, you know, because those are some dividing players. But those are two players with absolute concerns being drafted well ahead of Michael Pittman, who to me is easily the odds on favorite in that wide receiver group to lead that team in targets. And I think the Colts are going to be much better than the Houston Texans. And then we still are waiting to find out if Miko Hardman is anything more than like wide receiver insurance for Tyree Kill, because that's when all of his best games are coming from. And I feel like they have tried to make him that number two wide receiver this year. And we're still trying to find out if he's like a legitimate wide receiver. Well, this is a pro branding Cooks podcast. It's definitely okay. not a pro McCole Hardman podcast, but I'm totally with you on Pittman. And like T.Y. Hilton now, like he might be out the first half of the season. I mean, Pitt- Pittman's going to be clear lead guy in that passing game so i'm i'm all over him josh you brought up Corey davis and elijah moore a a minute ago who are you drafting first between those two guys oh man (laughs) um i mean look i've referenced it there was a point this summer when there was only one new york jet going the top 100 selections on underdog um elijah right sorry it was yeah it was michael carter Carter. you're right it was michael carter um elijah moore is going as wide receiver 54 and underdog Corey Davis has moved all the way up to wide receiver 37 because of this preseason wow. usage. I mean, he's, he's what ran 19 routes and been targeted like 12 times or something like that. It's absurd. Now I think we can all look in the mirror and say at points we have overreacted to preseason usage, preseason performances. I think it's even happened with the jets in the past. Like they went four and one preseason, I think. And then just Zach Sudfeld. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Great point. Um, but and please don't clip this if it doesn't happen <laughs> because we, we haven't seen this necessarily. I mean, last year was career year for Corey Davis and what he hit like 900 yards or something. Yeah. I think there's an avenue for, for Corey Davis to be top 10, top 15, in the NFL and targets this season. We have seen in this structure of an offense. I mean, it is like the Shanahan tree that McVay has influences in that. Now we get like Matt LaFleur's little brother, Mike, or older brother, I'm not sure which one it is, now coaching this team. But, like, in that offense, we have seen some kind of random players, and in fact, similar career trajectories as Corey Davis, like, lead the NFL in targets. Pierre Garçon did it in Washington. And I'm not saying, like, that is going to happen. But But he drafted where, where he was at Corey Davis at, like, wide receiver 45 or wherever it was just, like, a week ago. I think wide receiver 37 is just about right for where he's he should be going. Um, so it recovered quickly. That That's such a team that we have so many negative biases against them that when they hit the reset button completely, and there were also negative biases against the quarterback in Zach Wilson, the same way it kind of was that case with, with Mac Jones, because for some reason we just lock on to negativity against certain prospects we dislike in the process and hold on to that even when they start playing. I think what we have seen so far is they've invested a ton in the offensive line that's going to be able to keep them inside of structure just as like Zach Wilson was at BYU. And while I think Elijah Moore might hit that post by rookie bump that I'm sure Hayden talked about when he jumped on your show, I think early on Corey Davis could absolutely see seven, eight, nine, ten targets per game in the meantime. Drawing that line from Corey Davis to Washington Pierre Garcon is I think exactly why we brought you on the show because it's, it's not a connection that I had made. Uh, and I appreciate you bringing that up. And I would also like to say that when asked whether you're drafting Corey Davis or Elijah Moore, the correct answer is, oh, man. 
Yeah, I, I, I gave you a non-answer. <laughs> That's the answer. See, see, to me, the answer is easy now with the new ADPs, and it's Elijah mm-hmm. Moore. Like I, I, I smile every time I see Corey Davis go in the seventh round because I have so much like twelfth, thirteenth round Corey Davis. Yes. Like I'm, 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 I agree, Josh. I think he's priced fairly now, but he's a guy I've just kind of stopped taking because I have enough of him. And Elijah Moore now goes three, four rounds later. So yeah. Moore's the guy I'm, I'm stockpiling right now. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a that's a great point. That's absolutely a great point. That's one of the upsides too about drafting throughout the off season is you don't have to get to September now and think I've got to get my guys because you have shares of your guys all around. If it works out, it's going to work out for you. Yeah. Hand up guys. You probably <laughs> saw this on Twitter. I was trying to talk up AJ green as like a 17th round selection. And now <laughs> he's that. going in, in round 12 and round 13. Yeah. And, and that's a totally different conversation <laughs> we're having, you know, like in round 17, when everyone hated him, when, you know, it, it was impossible for him to have a worse season than he did last year where he's locked into, you know, the outside right wide receiver spot on the Cardinals because they they keep them on either side of the field. Love that in round 17. Now that we're getting to round 12 and round 13 conversation, heck, I even saw him go round 11 last night. Yeah, I don't want to attach my name to that necessarily. <laughs> right. Every time that I see one of those who is the guy that you have to have in every draft question? I'm like, it depends who's going in round 15 plus in your draft. Cause there's no guy that it, I think the wrong move is to tie yourself to players um, rather than tying yourself to what's going on in drafts right now. So looking to running back now, cause we've mostly focused on wideouts to this point. Um, you know, we've seen the, the corresponding running backs fall early in the draft. We hit on some of those guys earlier. Let's look at some of the bigger individual movers. A lot of them, affected by injuries or by trades. James Robinson, Gus Edwards, Sony Michelle way up since going to the Rams. Josh, anybody in that group that has moved up to the point where you're just not drafting them? And, you know, obviously it's different if you're talking about a tournament where the draft started a while ago and now you're drafting versus somebody who has, you know, eighth round James Robinson. But just just thinking about today, thinking about winning a league, James Robinson, Gus Edwards, Sony Michelle, any of those guys just going too high to make sense now? Not to me. Um, I, I, I still like them in, in their airs. In fact, this is kind of another theory conversation, but because we all have been drafting since June or July, maybe even August for some or people, February or February. And we, we have this locked in belief or ranking where someone should go. Sometimes it can be so difficult to alter that when these major injuries happen, that maybe there's even a value spot in there as well. Because it's just like so against our nature to like completely be able to reset and put them at the top. Like the question is, are we moving them up enough? You know, Um, Gus Edwards is an example. And look, when you look at the entire league, someone like Gus Edwards, kind of a singular skill running back, right? So I'm not talking about for all 32 teams. I'm talking about it just for the Ravens. He's perfect. And they know it. Right. That's why they backed him at every single corner. And to me, why this is a different conversation than the one that we saw with like Daryl Henderson, for example, because ever since Daryl Henderson was drafted in the middle rounds, they've kind of hedged on him every single time he's had the opportunity to get a massive workload. I mean, he had that and then they drafted Cam Akers in round two. Then he had that again this offseason and they bring in Sony Michelle. We did, there's still time for the Ravens to bring in somewhere else. But where J.K. Dobbins, and this is arguable where he was going, was going as running back 15. Mm-hmm. Now, individually, like J.K. Dobbins is a better talent than Gus Edwards. 
But now Gus Edwards is going as the running back 23. So like there's even less of a talent competing with him for those goal line touches. It seems even more evident where that was going. Neither were really going to catch passes, right? Because what we care most about is the number one running back on the best rushing offense in the NFL. And hopefully they are the ones that get the opportunity in goal line situations. Have we moved Gus Edwards up enough in that case? And you just mentioned, you know, players who we love drafting around 15, 16, 17. Right now, and things can change. Maybe even during the show, it's changed. Tyson Williams is that. Because I really think that second running back on that team is in line for at least 100 carries, maybe 120, maybe 130. And they seem to believe in him as well. So those two, again, especially Gus Edwards is going that running back dead zone. But I I can easily make the narrative case where a linear skill set player still can be effective in this offense for sure. Yeah, I mean, Edwards should be going closer to where Dobbins was going pre-injury. Right. And, I, and I, to me, it's more Dobbins should have been, been going like a round later than, than where he was going. I think where Edwards is going is about right. I think like fifth round, especially an underdog or any other place that's half PPR or non-PPR, like that's where Edwards is going to get a boost, obviously, because he's not going to do a ton of the pass catching stuff, as you mentioned, Josh. But um, you know, going back to the the adjusting these rankings when we get these, you know, August injuries, that that's where I think doing projections is so important. Because like you know, when something the Dobbins injury happens, I went back and like like redid all my Ravens projections, like started from scratch, and that 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 really makes you sit down and think about you know what Edwards could do, what the baseline projection is, what the upside is so like, like 250 carries is within his range of outcomes. So I think actually sit, sitting down and, you know, putting the numbers on, on paper kind of helps reframe where these guys should be valued. And not to put you on the spot, but did he end up being like 90% JK Dobbins, 85% JK Dobbins? Was it close to that? Close. Yeah. I'm, I'm pulling up the numbers right now. So like we have him for 224 carries. Now, 24 catches. I think we had Dobbins up in the thirties. I, I think right. that's where Edwards will fall short of what Dobbins was going to do. But I mean, like you said, Edwards could ha- have more carries than Dobbins was going to, because, you know, he, he has a lesser talent behind him than, than Dobbins would have. So I, I think, again, I think Edwards outlook now is, is pretty similar to what Dobbins was pre-injury. And I think James Robinson can be kind of a similar conversation to that one too. What a weird team building dynamic <laughs> to have what every team should want in an undrafted free agent show out during his rookie year as a three down back and then just say, hey, we need more speed. So let's draft a running back in round one. But at least for this year, we can eliminate that weird decision from our brains, I think. I don't think now, we ever should eliminate that from our brains, though. In that it, <laughs> it looks like it looks like Urban Meyer considered Travis Etienne the Kadarius Tony fallback. He did, he did, <laughs> he did. I guess what I'm trying to say is that with James Robinson, we have seen it now. He played what like 75 percent of the snaps last year, something like that. Just owned it despite them being awful. So that's tough to do, right? Being a I mean, in some ways, guys, think of if we did have the preseason last year, how different the fantasy landscape would have changed last season when we knew that James Robinson was going to be the starter for for the Jaguars. I mean, he would have vaulted up in some areas an undrafted player or, you know, final round pick to one who would have been, what, a seventh, eighth, ninth round selection. Yep. And so many of those teams that, that got him so later or as free agents – 
won their leagues or got to the playoffs at least because of it. So in some ways, he like painted the picture for the 2020 fantasy season. And now we get him again. And last year, he was a top 10 running back on a far worse offense, we believe. And this is all projection. But I, at least I like all the skill position talents. They return all five starters, which is arguable how good they are. But at least they return all five. And we're getting him at running back 18. A three-down player who can be trusted in pass protection, as we saw in one of Trevor Lawrence's touchdowns in the preseason, was made because James Robinson picked up in pass protection. And again, I, I think the volume is absolutely going to be there in a better offense. So maybe the opportunity might go down just a little bit. But I think the efficiency might rise here for James Robinson because yeah. he, he, he is that type of player who doesn't rely on just those breakaway runs, who just relies on chunk runs and being out there a lot. I wish I wish we had seen the Jags in preseason last year. I wouldn't have been wasting picks on Divine Ozigbo. My guy, we're in this together, Jared. Yeah. We're in this um, together. So my, my only concern with Robinson, and again, it goes back to this coaching staff, is Urban Meyer going to give his boy Carlos Hyde, you know, forty percent of the backfield work? He he shouldn't, but I mean, I, I'm not I'm not totally convinced he, he's not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of risk there uh, baked into what you're paying for James Robinson versus what he could be if they do give him the ball a lot. Uh, another guy, Damian Harris, in this category, and I think the Patriots offense overall seems to have gotten a boost from jettisoning Cam Newton and switching to Mac Jones. And, I, you know, for me, they all got a boost just because of the New England plan. Now it's less like, all right, Cam Newton's what we got, so we got to figure out how we can make it work with Cam Newton. Now it's more like, okay – we're going to run an NFL offense. And so these guys will fit in more traditional spots. Damian Harris is up. I don't think he's up to an unreasonable spot, but Josh, how are you treating Damian Harris with both the QB move and Sony Michelle leaving town? And I guess the other guys behind them, Ramondre Stevenson and, and uh, otherwise. Well, I, I want to take this moment to apologize to everyone for how <laughs> annoying I've been about Damian Harris this summer. Um, <laughs> but hopefully it's going to pay off for all of us now, you know? I really believe that in their actions, the Patriots, and just with our eyes, we saw this, how brutal that offense was. I mean, it, it was a travesty to watch. It was disgusting. But when I go back and, and try to figure out what the Patriots want to be this year, they have a top five offensive line. They spent more money than anyone at the tight end position. I mean, two of the highest paid contracts at that spot. They're going to lead the league in 12 personnel if both are healthy. So it's going to be two wide receivers out there in the field. They now start a quarterback, as you talked about, Mac Jones, who, because people just wrongly assumed he was going to be the number three overall selection, there's hate against him and bias mm -hmm. against him. He's in a perfect situation right now. And so to me, this team wants to play bully ball, you know? And they are, last year, despite being one of the worst teams in the NFL on offense, they were top three in the NFL and carries they're once again, going to be top five in, in carries on a better team. I mean, crazy me. I want to believe in bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels and their, and their vision after just a one down year. Um, I think they're going to emulate a lot of what the Cleveland Browns put on the field last season. While everyone is going in this direction of smaller and faster, they want to get bigger and stronger win the run game and win off play action with multiple tight end sets. Now, what does this mean for Damian Harris? What does this mean for a Patriots backfield that whenever I talked about Damian Harris this summer, by the way, I was unable to move his ADP. That shows you how much traction I have. And it <laughs> took this to actually move him up to running back spots when I've been trying to preach him as like the running back 29 all summer. Anyways, 
Um, what does this mean for Damon Harris? What does this mean for the Patriots running backs? Because a lot of people, as we kind of talked about with Will Fuller, have been, in their eyes, burned by Patriots backs in the past. Well, when you look back to, and remove 2020 from your minds, because I, I think it's so obvious that that was just a one-off year. Yep. The last time that Tom Brady did not start 16 games for the Patriots, and this is one of those random teams that we truly have like decades of, of what they want to be because nothing has changed, right? He started only 12 games in 2016 because of Deflategate, right? In that season, LeGarrette Blunt nearly got 300 carries, had over 1,200 yards, I think, only had eight targets or eight receptions. <laughs> and now this isn't going to happen, but he had 18 touchdowns that season, right? That was like the running back eight, running back nine. And I, I think that that might be the closest picture that the Patriots are going to try to emulate this season. And especially when you consider for Damian Harris that, as you guys, I'm sure have pointed out, Cam Newton handled 73% of the touches near the goal line yeah. last season. Look, I understand people love Ramondre Stevenson because he was awesome in the preseason. They love J.J. Taylor for the same reason. I mean, they were like the two most productive backs in preseason this year. To me, that points to how good the offensive line is, how much depth the offensive line is. And so by all accounts, I've gotten this cross-checked by beat writers on the team. They love Damian Harris. And he has to fail or get injured for those other guys to get an opportunity and so I want to bank on him and their belief in him at first, and especially where he was going all summer in drafts, because I, I think a path to, and look, he's not going to catch a ton of passes, but the path to a top 15 running back season is absolutely there because that is their identity this season. I wish now that I had bought the chance that Cam Newton just would not open the season as a starter, because that's the whole uncertainty thing kept me away from Damian Harris and having all the running backs around, but I should have bought a little bit more on the uncertainty rather than worrying yeah. about it, I guess, at the stage where he was going. I, th I think you can still buy Harris at that, you know, what is it, RB29 ADP, mm -hmm. especially an underdog where it's half PPR. Because, I mean, like Josh said, he, he's not going to catch a lot of passes. That hurts. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway from, from New England's preseason, just how, how good the running game looked, not how good Stevenson looked or Taylor looked, but their running backs as a group averaged 6.5 yards per carry. Exactly. Like, that, you know, it, it could be one of the best running games in the NFL this season. And if, you know, the beat writers are correct that Harris is their guy. Like he's going to get 250 carries. You know, that, that's enough. Even if he only catches 10 to 15 passes. I, I want to pull up the actual team rushing stats from last season, because I, I do think it is worth pointing out that all the teams surrounding them were very good. You know, the Ravens had 555, yep. the Titans 521. The Patriots were right there at over 500. The Browns, the Saints, the Cardinals, the Rams. I mean, these were all really good teams. The Patriots were awful. And they still had over 500 rushing attempts. So let's say like they are good. The defense is better. And they still want to have this identity with better pieces on the field to support it. I mean, I, again, we, we can zoom out and say, hey, receptions, targets, they absolutely matter for running backs. But I think in certain points, like we talk about with Gus Edwards, like we can zoom in here with the Patriots, we can zoom in a little bit and say, well, what do they want to be? And if this guy hits, it's going to be a massive season if he just stays healthy. And hey, if you're playing without PPR, completely no points for reception, then Gus Edwards and Damian Harris should be um, strong targets for you in your draft. Let's hit tight ends before we run out of time here. I, I think that there's not been a lot of change up top, but I noticed this and we were updating our perfect draft series this week. Yeah. I noticed that guys going down in that range of like tight end 11 to say tight end 18, 
We've had, you know, Irv Smith go down. We have Adam Troutman with an uncertain situation at this point. Some other guys in that range, Evan Ingram now might start the season on IR even. So obviously what that does is make an already kind of questionable area even more unstable. But that also seems like it might even give a further boost to those elite tight ends early that we were already favoring well ahead of the position. We all have a favorite late round tight end. Who's your favorite late round tight end this year? Because we're all going to be wrong in the end. Who is yours? <laughs> it was Irv Smith for me. <laughs> yeah. Matt, what about you? I like Austin Hooper right now because of how late he's throwing this opportunity. Me, me too. That, that That's the one I'll go for because we know he's going to be in the field a lot. Now, Hayden has pointed out and did some work on this that like it's not necessarily just snaps out there on the field because a lot of times these tight ends can also act like a six blocker even in passing situations. It's It's slot snaps. And that leads to obviously receiving production. It seems so obvious to say out loud, but that's not necessarily something we factor in here. Um, so that can happen for potentially for Austin Hooper. That doesn't necessarily line up for like Cole Komet necessarily being an awesome late round breakout here. Um, I think it could happen for Pat Fryermuth, who's moved up 18 spots. He's another one of these rookies that maybe we buy into the unknown a little bit where he's going. And that would have led us last year to, to Logan Thomas. I mean, I think there is kind of, Obviously, we all would love one of those top four tight ends, right? Who's your fourth one in that group? Oh, for me, it's Kyle Pitts. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't help myself. What about you guys? Is it Hawk? Is it Mark Andrews? Who is it? It's been I, Hawkinson over Pitts for me. Got it. Yeah, I have Hawkinson four, but to me, Hawkinson, Pitts, and Andrews are all close to me. And I'm yeah. like, I, if I don't get one of the top three, I, I want to make sure I get one of those next three because I don't want to be messing with the rest of these guys. Right. I think that there's like this area where like the Logan Thomases and Noah Fance all have like, and Robert Tunyon's like kind of all have questions yep. marked into them. The one I would want in that area. And I understand some people in the community don't like him, but is, is Logan Thomas because I truly feel like he is going to be their main slot option. I mean, he was only in line for, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, like 20% of their snaps last season. Like he legitimately was their slot receiver last year. Yep. And so I think, their ideal vision is going to be Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel on the outside. Cause that's where Curtis played with Scott Turner back in, in Carolina. Um, and then if, you know, he's still hobbled here for the first few weeks, cross your fingers. That's not true. Uh, then Dayami Brown might play on the outside as well. And I understand they've hyped up Adam Humphreys in spots and he's had a connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick at a, a other few stops along the way. But um, I think Logan Thomas is, is absolutely their, their, their main, middle of the field target. That doesn't answer your question necessarily. I do think one of these Patriots tight ends is going to hit. Yep. And it is amazing to me, the difference in ADP of both, because I think John U. Smith is going like 12, 13 or 14 at the tight end spot. And Hunter Henry is going like all the way at tight end 20. So that drastic ADP difference is, yep. is something that's flashing to me. Henry's another guy we, we didn't see in the preseason, which I think probably is hurting his ADP. And it sounds like he'll be fine for week one with the shoulder. So, yeah, I, I agree. Both Patriots tight ends, you know, going back to what you talked about with uh, 12 personnel, they both got big contracts. They're going to be on the field. Um, so I like those guys. The last guy I'll throw out as a later tight end is Gerald Everett. History with Shane Waldron knows the offense. Um, I, I think there's a clear path for him to be the number three target in that passing game. I worry that the times we live in are pointing to Adam Humphreys ranking second among Washington players and targets this season. <laughs> oh, 
let's hit the reset button if that's the case. <laughs> All right, let's hit QBs real quick before we head out. I mean, it's it's really a position where it's easy to get pretty much whatever you want. I think one thing that stood out to me, and especially looking at the underdog ADP, is Trey Lance's rise. He is currently ahead of Jalen Hurts in yeah. ADP, and I, I pointed this out on Twitter the other day. To me, that's crazy because – Trey Lance, what you're hoping if you draft him, you're hoping that he's going to become what Jalen Hurts is for the Eagles right now. He's going as quarterback 10. <laughs> I uh, I love Trey Lance. I think I want the quarterback tied to Kyle Shanahan, especially one that has, you know, rushing production and rushing upside inside the 10-yard line. But, guys, he's going as the quarterback 10. That's uh, That's incredibly rich. Now – at least on underdog, like the conversation is so different with Trey Lance if you're in like your typical home managed leagues versus in best ball, right? Because with Trey Lance, maybe you can hedge with a Sam Darnold or you can hedge even closer to that with like a Matthew Stafford, something like that. I don't think right now where he's going, if your ADP is similar to what underdog is, you can take him in your home leagues as, as crazy as that sounds because of just how how high he's, he's going up. And once he gets in the starting lineup, and I think all these rookies are going to play obviously pretty early, he's going to smash. But it that that's that's such an area where we have Ryan Tannehill's, we have Matthew Stafford, we we even and when you just compare the two, and I know we already talked about this, like I just do not understand sixteen spot difference for for Trevor Lawrence and 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 Trey Lance at this point. Um, so I'm not sure how much there is to say because I don't want to say too much negative. Well, and it's difficult for me to do, but I just can't get there at quarterback 10. Yeah, I think you have to keep in mind that it, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's within the range of outcomes that he is supercharged Taysom Hill this year. Uh, there's obviously the long-term upside, but we don't know when he's going to start. To me, Josh, and maybe you disagree, I see a much easier path for Justin Fields starting early for the Bears than I do Trey Lance for the Niners because I don't think that the Bears – will be nearly as good as the 49ers. And it's going to be a whole lot easier to make that QB switch for a hot seat coach with a team that's probably going to start out no better than one and two. Yeah, they seem determined to start Andy Dalton for at least the first half. But if they're down by like 12 at halftime, would it be shocking for Justin Fields to try out there as a start in the second half? Like we've seen it before. With a Tom, lot of Savage, Tom Savage and Nathan Peterman both started ahead of first round quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. Look, Justin Fields is an imperfect player right now. I mean, all these rookies are. They're all imperfect. And so I think when people watch Justin Fields in the preseason, they want him to be like this precision pocket passer and all that kind of stuff. What he is at this moment is something that we love, and he's a problem solver. So as soon as a receiver isn't open or his offensive line breaks down or maybe he holds the ball for a tick too long and the window closes, we've seen the athleticism, and it translates. And there might not be a ton of design runs, but guys, if we get six scrambles per game, which is absolutely reasonable, four scrambles per game, giddy up, you know? And and I think he's also in there at the quarterback 14 because there was a point where I think he was all the way up at like quarterback 11 or quarterback 12. Um, I, we might even be getting a discount here with, with Justin Fields. So again, he's not going to be a refined passer probably, even though we have seen, we have seen elements of bucket throws, tight window throws, those things like that perfectly placed passes. So even with like the negatives of his passing possibly there, uh, I, I think he's going to be a great deodorant with everything else that he brings to the table during his rookie year. And we see him progress as the year goes along, along for sure. 
Yeah, I, I think Felix should be going ahead of Lance in drafts right now because the, the upside when they're on the field is similar. And I just think, you know, we're going to see Fields before we see Lance at this point. And this this injury for Lance, too, is, you know, problematic. I think it's an injury to a finger on his throwing hand. Now he's, he's supposed to be back at practice next week. But like that, that's got to stunt his development at least a little. Yeah, I agree. I'm an imperfect man, so I will not begrudge Justin Fields' flaws. I just ask him to be the best Justin Fields he can be when he gets on the field this year. Josh, I think that you have been the perfect guest for this show. He is at Josh Norris on Twitter. You probably already follow him there. You can find his content on any format throughout the Underdog Fantasy platforms. Josh, anything in particular you're working on that you want to uh, point people toward right now? I'm sure your listeners know about the best game, the great game of best ball. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I just want to say that we've got like six days left until kickoff. You know, best ball mania two is about to fill. Go out there and win a million dollars. In fact, second place gets more than first place last year. If you want to go that far, 250 K 170 K for your listeners. Do you guys have a promo code? If not use promo code, the show, and you get a free $25 off. Skip the guacamole. Instead, deposit that into underdog. You get a free 25 bucks. Go to the puppy five times. Go play your one-offs. It like truly is the best way to prepare for, I think, your season-long yeah. leagues because you get yeah. to test out like the 101, the 106, the 112, all of those spots and different roster constructions that we've kind of talked about. So uh, go try it out. Football Pringles. Once you once you start, you can't stop. So Underdog even has – they have golf now, I just saw. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we're about I'm, to – I'm on that. I'm on we're, that. We're, we're, we're about to unleash some more types of uh, pick'em contests as well, let's say. So yeah. golf, golf is the first one. We have another one coming up next weekend. So uh, thanks everyone for the support. I really appreciate it. Like it's, it's, it's a great place to work. Thank you guys for having me on. And uh, it's amazing how far underdog has come in like a year, I think. And it's because the community around it and everyone like you guys playing on it. It's been so much fun. Absolutely, man. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. See you guys. You heard Josh promo code, the show go play on underdog today. It's a, it's a holiday weekend for you guys. We might be working, but it's a holiday. You got time to draft. So sit around and do it. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see how we project all these guys and where we recommend that you draft them. We just updated the popular Perfect Draft series over the past two days, so check that out. For more discussion, you can also join our free Discord channel. Check the description for this podcast to find that link. For our guest, Josh Norris, and the entire DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse, and thanks so much for swimming with us.